Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute, and I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. Today, we're going to be talking about how HR drives new beginnings. This is an interview in our Connex Executive Insight Series brought to you by Connex Partners. Connex connects business leaders from across the U.S., helping them solve their greatest challenges together. With me on today's show is Farah Palumbo, Senior Vice President and Chief People Officer at Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. Farah, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Maureen. I have been with the company now for over 20 years, actually, having originally joined the human resources function and then in about 10 years ago became the chief people officer. Prior to joining Blue Cross, I had worked in financial services, also in HR, supporting a variety of functions at Citibank in New York. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. We are excited about the conversation. So in today's discussion with Farah, we'll explore change, transformation, and how HR acts as a primary driver for those shifts within the business. More importantly, we'll touch on the practical elements of operationalizing that change, how to secure buy-in from senior leaders, how to keep the course, and what kinds of opportunities a departure from the norm can bring. And Farah, if you can answer those questions, I will believe that you walk on water because this is a really... (laughs) Big topic. I'll do my best. (laughs) A huge congratulations goes out to you and Blue Cross and Blue Shield that you were just named America's best midsize employer in the insurance industry for 2022. So, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is actually the fourth year we've been named to the list. And this year, we were really fortunate to be placed number 17 on the list. So, it's just an amazing accomplishment we're very proud of how you did that. And this is part of what we'll talk about. For many cases, firms that were exceptional pre-pandemic, some of them just didn't fare so well in the changing environment. Yes. You're a firm believer in the idea that the pandemic's given employers a rare chance to redefine what normal is and what it means. Can you start with some insights into what's meant for Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina and how you've had to change? For many years, Maureen, we've offered flexible work arrangements, and we had slightly less than about 30% of our team working either fully or partially remote at the start of the pandemic. And then around that time, interestingly enough, we were aggressively trying to increase those numbers. As the size of the staff continued to grow and space on the campus became somewhat limited, interestingly, like most organizations, I'd say there was a fair amount of resistance to expanding remote work because of a lot of the concerns related to teaming and collaboration. You know, the thought that the only way that works is if everyone is on site, in conference rooms, with whiteboards, et cetera. In March of 2020, then, we were faced with an unprecedented experience, a global pandemic, something that we never would have imagined, and that just created too much risk to have the workforce on campus together. None of us knew what to expect. I'll never forget that time. Within a matter of days, we announced everyone would need to work remotely until further notice, and that was March 12th, and honestly, most of us had hoped it would only last a few weeks, you know, maybe a month or two. So like, who knew? 
the leadership team decided that while we did that quick pivot, we needed to plan for a robust, sustainable model that would minimize any disruptions in our work while keeping our employees safe long-term if this continued into the foreseeable future. And then it became quickly evident that Obviously, that was the case. So our IT team and our real estate team, they were amazing partners as we executed on probably what I'd say is one of the biggest changes our workforce had ever faced and I'm hoping would ever face. And nearly two years later, we've permanently shifted to what we're now calling hybrid flex with everyone in our workforce being given the autonomy to choose how they want to work, either fully remote or hybrid. So except for a very, very small number of people, we're not requiring that anyone regularly work any number of days in the office. And I can tell you that 75% of our workforce has chosen to work full-time remote. So really great outcome. And we'll talk about you know some of the challenges that we have to continue to be thinking about. We hear people making the statements like people can't collaborate if they're not physically in the same place or when we bump into each other, the magic happens and it can't happen on Zoom. For all of the people who are saying it will not be as good working remotely as it will be in person, and yet you've given people the option, so you must believe that this will work. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit more about how you got there and the assumptions you're making? And really what I want others to hear is what was your thinking that allows you to believe this will work so that people can bounce it again, what they're thinking when they're making assumptions that they think it won't work? We always start with this thought process, and this has been really something that's been the foundation of our organizational culture, is the whole idea of trust. So we really believe that if you give people the autonomy to make that decision, it will work out in the end. And we've used several guiding principles to make those decisions for ourselves, right? So do we know whether or not it's the right decision? You know, I would say we'll see. But for us, some of the key priorities in making those decisions were, first of all, it was really important that we kept our employees safe and that we gave them an opportunity to be productive. So what environment will they be most productive in? And then behind all of this is the notion or the guiding principle that our customers must be served without disruption. And they have that expectation you know, we're not making widgets at the end of the day. I mean, I've said this to many people. We are a healthcare organization that must be available at all times so that our customers can feel secure in the stability that we're offering to them. It can seem easy to implement something like this and assume everyone's going to love it, but we know that the change is hard and everyone experiences change very, very differently. So, Part of what we did throughout this time was ensure that we always had two-way communication, right? That's a really critical part. And from the beginning, we have asked for feedback in a variety of ways, including surveys, virtual conversations with leaders across the company. And all along the way, we've used that feedback to design a lot of what we've delivered. So one thing that we know for sure is that people want as much autonomy as possible. So that's what we've tried to deliver. So 
whether or not we can sit here and say, well, we're not really sure it's going to work. Can it work? We really need people in person. We've proven for two years that it can work. And that is why I really struggle when I hear, well, we're not really sure that this can work and it's really difficult to do. Well, we just did it for two years. So, I mean, how do you tell people that it can't be done? And that's really what we're focused on. And we do measure success, right? For us, we're measuring success in a couple of different ways, including consistently looking at our culture and engagement scores. We've never taken our eye off of that. And somewhat, I don't want to say more importantly, but equally importantly, are our business results, including our customer experience data. And so balancing all that is really important and making sure that it's not just about can it work, but it's does it work in a way that delivers and continues to drive your business results? It's interesting. I'm just thinking of clients, many of whom have said you have to come into the office at least one day a week or something like that. I appreciate that people have had the autonomy to choose And I'm guessing that even the people who say they don't want to come in at all will come in on occasion. That's right. They'll have the option to come in or you may have where we used to go off-site, you'll now have an (laughs) on-site once a quarter or something. Exactly. Exactly. We're not saying you can't come on-site. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So we're saying make the choice. And I'm sure we'll get to this as we continue to talk. And I just said this to the leadership team this morning. We were having a big all-leadership meeting. And I said, you have to think about the campus. Now, remember, we are primarily on one campus in Durham, North Carolina, but we have many individuals that are out of state. So what we're really trying to do is make sure that if we're doing everything on site, then really, how do you deal with the folks that are not even in the state, that they're working out of state? But what we're really focused on is the campus should be a destination for community building, collaboration, when it's really needed. The thought of coming in to find a cubicle or an office to sit down and do heads down work when you can be just as productive at home, it doesn't really make any sense. So we're really rethinking and turning the whole notion of where you work a little bit on its head for an organization like ours. It's been fascinating to watch. You know, as you said, this was two years ago and we all had a set of assumptions about how work happened. Right. And then as the two years evolves, seeing that people who thought they would be unhappy are actually really happy with the freedom to do everything from have a maintenance person or, you know, now when I get a FedEx, I don't have to make arrangements with a neighbor. Life is easier to navigate some of the stuff that we navigate when we have the option occasionally to be at home or all the time. It's incredibly important to think about those things. And it's interesting, you know, for years, people would ask about work-life balance, right? Like what work-life balance was really there ever? And I always have said for years, it's more about work-life flexibility. That's the sort of mindset I have had and, and I and my team have had as we think about how to design or foster a culture and an environment where people really can thrive. So when you think about that, this is the perfect example of reinforcing work-life flexibility. During the height of the pandemic, schools were sending their students home. So many of our employees had children at home as well. So this notion that your work and your life, your family life are two very separate things 
is just not even possible in an environment like that. So, you know, to your point about the FedEx, planning the FedEx, to have your children, if you have children at home, quote, interrupt your meeting or your dog interrupt your meeting. I mean, all of these things everyone has had to get very comfortable with. And then leaders have had to learn how to manage through that. So it's just been a really fascinating time. And I think it's given us an opportunity to test new and different ways of getting the work done. So moving from what might be viewed as traditional to a much more flexible organization. I still hear people say it's less personal. And yet your point of we've met people's children. Correct. I now have met people's children. I've talked to them. I see their pets crawling across their cats, mainly not dogs, but (laughs) you see the cats, you see the dogs walk in and out. Mm -hmm. We've talked about authenticity, but authenticity, when I put on the costume and the makeup and the stuff, like I'm going on to do a performance, it's different than the authenticity when I'm sitting in front of my bookshelf and my African art, you know something about me. There are pictures on my shelf of a hiking trip. It tells you a lot about me that you would not know in a small office in a big, fairly generic building. Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about Zoom fatigue and it's very personal as well. So everyone has a different work style. Everyone has a different personality. Everyone has to adjust. And and that's the thing that we've tried to reinforce with leaders, meet people where they are. So in a situation like my own, I'll use my personal situation. I never worked from home prior to the pandemic, not because I didn't want people to work from home. I had many, many of my team members working from home periodically throughout the week. But what I would say is I personally didn't think I'd be as successful working from home because I have a need to interact. And what I miss most about being in the office when we were there the ability to walk the halls. So my team happens to all be co-located and I could walk around and I could just pop in and check in. And so it's a little bit more unnerving when you send a message to someone saying, hey, do you have five seconds? I'd like to quickly connect with you. But as we've progressed through this time of the pandemic, what I would say is it's much more natural. I mean, people say, well, it's not the same as when I used to pop into your office. And one of my team members did this recently. I loved it on instant message, we use Teams, she started her IM by saying, knock, knock. And she said, knock, knock, do you have a second? And it made me literally laugh out loud because I thought, how how adorable was that, that she approached it that way? And it immediately made me read it. And I was in the middle of something, but I was able to just reply, give me 30 minutes and I'll call you. That happens very, very frequently with our teams. And we try to stay on camera when we are having those one-on-ones just because you don't want to lose that connection. And we try to encourage people to get on camera when they can when we're in bigger meetings, just so that, again, you have that. I mean, I do think people are ready to connect more in person and we'll find those opportunities and we will create those opportunities, but worthwhile opportunities, not just everybody show up. I, I mean, I actually told two of my team members recently, they live within five minutes of where I live, we all work about a half hour away from our homes. And I said, there's really no need for us to drive to Durham to go meet. If we want to have your one-on-one this week, or we want to meet, let's meet at the local coffee shop. So not only are we saying to folks remote work, it's remote work from where it makes sense for whatever it is you happen to be doing at that time. And I think that's really important. 
the other, as you say, that a couple things come to mind. One, that we're going to find ways to make this work, just like we found ways to make the last thing work. Yep. And smart people will figure this out. And as you talk about, do we drive to the office to meet? I have a lot of walking meetings where I happen to live off a ravine. So people come here to walk. I will meet people in parks. We use our brains differently while we're walking and we're not multitasking. The three of us, part of my leadership team were on a call. Someone else was IMing and it's hard to miss the things that continue to pop up. That's right. It's only when I step away from my computer and do a walking meeting, does someone get my full attention? Because it's just constant otherwise. Absolutely. I think that except for the times when I'm in more of a one-on-one meeting, any group meeting, you're being barraged with the messages and with the emails. And if you're in too many meetings, as many of us are all day long, It's a survival technique, I think, at this point to keep up with your emails in between, or I'll admit it during meetings, and it's just not productive. So I love finding other ways, and walking meetings are perfect, whether it's, you know, walking in your neighborhood or find, just like I said, finding a different place to meet up. It does give some variety. Let's go back to you said we all, or many of us, assumed that in person two years ago was the way things happened. Moving from a traditional company to a culture of flexibility, easier said than done. Yep. Often a sticking point, I run a CEO forum and it's often the senior leaders that have the expectation that people come back. Mm -hmm. Almost everyone I've talked to who's not a senior leader wants more flexibility. Mm -hmm. So how did you get your CEO and executives on board? I assume there were a range of responses from, heck yeah, I'm remote all the way to absolutely not. (laughs) That won't work. First of all, let me just say that our culture and a focus on people has been part of our DNA really for quite some time. So when I think about all the hyper-focus that you hear many organizations talking about, hyper-focus on people and culture, it didn't start for us with the pandemic. I mean, we have spent a lot of time, as I mentioned earlier, building this foundation of trust in our company which, uh, frankly, I believe trust is the key to weathering storms that any business will face. I'll tell you this, interestingly, at the time the pandemic was happening, it's really important for everyone to know that we were also experiencing a CEO transition. Fortunately, our new CEO, who's now been with us since June of 2020, so remember that date, he joined during the pandemic. He has led several multi-state organizations. So the idea of remote workforce really was not new to him. He is also a huge proponent of the importance of people. He strongly believes they're the foundation of our business. I was extremely fortunate to now have this great senior leader join the organization that understood what we were trying to do. And so really very little of what we planned or recommended to him ever fell on deaf ears. Also, fortunately, he and the rest of the executive team were extremely supportive of the plans and even more importantly, were role models for remote work. Granted, we had the conversation, we talked about the pros and cons, but none of us took the stance at the end of the day that we should come in to the office to demonstrate it's okay and it's safe. I have been on a lot of calls and a lot of sessions with other HR leaders where 
even the HR leaders believes, you know, we want people to just feel good that it's okay to come in and it it's safe to come in and look at us. We're role modeling this. Instead, we felt that it was more important to role model. It's okay not to come in and instead to work remotely. So we felt like by doing that, we demonstrated that we trust one another and we trust you to do what you need to do for our customers. It seems obvious to us, but that's not, as I said, how many organizations and leadership teams approached it, which is totally cool. They know their business, right? We believe it was the right thing for our workforce and our business, and we truly think that it made a difference. I have worked with a lot of leaders who did exactly as you said and role modeled going back into the office. Mm -hmm. And it sent some really mixed messages, including they say you can work from home, but if you really want to be successful, you're going to be in the office. It's all about FaceTime and you are willing to be one of the ones who've stepped up. Mm -hmm. And these senior leaders are in the office unhappy about being there. Same thing. I'm going to sit in my small little enclosed space. I'm not going to talk to anyone because we're in the midst of a pandemic. Correct. So why am I having to sit in the office? Your approach seems much more effective. Thank you for that. I just think that, first of all, where our offices are in all the counties and in most places, you had to wear a mask indoors. So really, what was the point? You'll come in, you'll sit in your office, and you'll use your computer to do exactly what you would do at home, except you'd be doing it with a mask on. It really made no sense to us. But to your point, the concern, the greatest concern we had was exactly what you just described. We know that if we had come in, people would think you had to come in and you don't need FaceTime with me face to face while we're both wearing a mask and both concerned. Think about early on when there was no vaccination, right? Why put people at risk? And we just didn't feel it was necessary. Going back to the guiding principle that we use, it was keep people safe, keep people productive, keep their families safe. That always was an overriding thought for us. Well, and you said one other thing, and that's we trust our people. That's right. And we trust each other to do what is safe and makes sense. That's right. This company has, like many, have gone through a lot of change. And if you do not have the trust in your workforce and they can't trust you, you won't be successful. And that's what we have to continue to focus on. It's fascinating to listen to people who say they trust their folks, and yet they're looking for software to make sure that they're (laughs) typing on their keyboard or they've got a camera watching people. If you trust your folks, and frankly, my belief is if people worked well in the office, most of them aren't going to work well at home. That's right. If they didn't work well in the office and you had to monitor them, they're probably going to need to be monitored at home. Right. And that's a management issue. That's right. Not a work location issue. That's right. And what's interesting is that, can I sit here and say, no one has taken advantage of this? Of course not. The reality is, I would imagine, if any, it may be a very, very, very small minority of people, and we can't design things for the few that may take advantage. You have to design for the greater number that are doing what you need them to do. That's just the way we have to think about it. And I know, especially during the time when the kids were home from school, we actually said to leaders, be flexible. You've got some people with a couple of children at home that are trying to do homeschooling. If you can be flexible with the hours and somebody says, look, I need these hours in the middle of the day to do something with my child, 
I had this on my own team. Mm -hmm. I don't care. What I care about is that the work gets done. We deliver what we say we're going to deliver in our business plan. And our results at the end of those two years were really positive. Think about ways we build trust and engagement and loyalty. Mm -hmm. It's understanding that parents who need to take care of their children, of course, what are they going to do? Lock them in the trunk of the car or the bathroom all day? <laughs> this is the moral and ethical responsibility of having children that you put their safety and health first, which is why we're navigating so many women leaving the workforce. That's right. Because they did not have options and some may still not have options. Yes. If I know that you're going to give me what I need, I am going to do backflips to repay and get my work done. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's me. I can't speak for everyone, but most of the people I work with are ethical. They're going to give you what you pay and more. I totally agree. And that's the mindset that we've always had and will continue to have. You know, I trust you until you prove me wrong. And I haven't been proven wrong by, I'd say, 99.9% .9 of the people through the years. So why would we change the way we operate now? I mean, I think it is critically important to continue to be supportive. And they don't forget these things. Memories are long in a lot of cases. And people have said to us, you know, we appreciate what you've done. So... And these are the things you remember the rest of your career. That's right. Right. It's not like you gave me a box of chocolate for Christmas. <laughs> it's you helped me keep my kids safe. That's right. Once you had the support, how did you go about shifting the way you operated, especially as an HR team? And how did this manifest logistically and organizationally? Because you're talking about, I'm assuming, a fairly large workforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our workforce is now about 5,100 and moving up. I would say, first and foremost, um, I kind of alluded to this earlier, we were very transparent on our decision-making. We use internal communication vehicles to share information and gather feedback with the entire workforce. We have an internal channel called Yammer that mm -hmm. allows two-way dialogue so that we can share our plans and then listen to the feedback in real time. And then sometimes we have to make slight adjustments, which we do. And along the way, the feedback has been remarkably positive. I hear from our team members pretty frequently in a variety of different ways. You know, and sometimes the feedback would be pretty strong when they were concerned or they didn't necessarily agree, especially when the vaccines were coming along. But the important thing was we constantly communicated. I've also shared a lot of information about our transition process on external channels, such as LinkedIn. I think we're all learning from one another because this was all new for us, HR and business leaders. And just as others have shared, we've really tried to share our journey. Throughout the process, we work very closely. When I say we, HR, work very closely with IT and our real estate team to ensure that we always had the appropriate technology supports to make that shift to remote work. We, at early parts of the pandemic, we were able to provide additional computer equipment and monitors to employees who needed additional capabilities. Everybody has a laptop, but for certain types of jobs, it was really important that they have a second monitor at home, which they had in the office and they didn't have that when they went back home. So we did a lot of that. And of course, as we're talking about IT, information security, especially in our business, is a priority. And our chief information security officer and his team have been consistently enhancing those capabilities for some time so that we would not have any issues during this pandemic. 
I'd say that on the HR side, there were a number of changes we implemented in very rapid fashion, especially early on. Hiring didn't stop as soon as the pandemic started. We were continuing to hire. We did not slow down at all, but we needed to immediately modify our onboarding process for new staff to a virtual platform. That was the one thing we didn't necessarily do virtually. Everyone came in for their first day, got their equipment and all of that. So we had to modify that and we did that very quickly. The talent team also had to redefine the process for interviewing candidates because, again, people always came on site and you would visit with a team of people and you would do lots of interviews and we had to change that. And in the course of changing those processes, we then started to really question, why are people seeing so many people on? Why are there so many interviews? So we've taken this as an opportunity to make other changes we've always wanted to make, which has been really helpful. On the learning side, our roadmap, we already had a plan for digital training. We had a digital roadmap because we knew that whether it be new hire training, because we hire a lot of customer service and claims people, that really needed to be thought through differently. So we had that digital roadmap started about two years before the pandemic. So when this happened, we were very quickly able to pivot. Even though we had it moved fully there, we were able to pivot relatively quickly. I will say during this two years, we also had a system migration. So fortunately, we were ready with this more efficient virtual way to prepare everyone from a training perspective virtually. Otherwise, that could have been a disaster. And so we were really lucky that we had thought through that. From the benefit side, we modified some benefits. We offered additional benefits, specifically in the area of mental health. And then we converted many of our on-campus wellness offerings to virtual because we knew that that was really critical. You know, people were just exhausted after a while. And how do you keep mental health really top of mind? And how do you create more opportunities for telehealth visits? And so really focusing on how do you keep not only our customers, but our workforce healthy during this really difficult time. The funny thing was our recognition program is on a virtual platform, on a social platform. So we could continue to recognize everyone for the great work in a very public way. So those were just a couple of the big things that come to mind. What I would say is, I don't want to make this sound like this was easy. It took a lot of effort by a lot of people. An amazing team all committed to our values of people first and every customer matters. Those are the things that you have to keep top of mind. And I said amazing team. I have an amazing HR team and we have an amazing team across the enterprise. I mentioned IT, real estate, healthcare, legal, like everybody just came together in ways that were what was needed to make this work. Thank you for sharing all of that. One of the themes across every interview is people did change much more quickly than they ever thought possible, right? Like we all had this belief that if you're going to implement a new system, it takes X period of time. Mm -hmm. And yet we changed a lot of what we did very quickly. What I really appreciated about hearing is the cross organizational collaboration and the awareness that mental health was going to be an issue. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things I did not hear consistently. We knew IT security would be an issue, sure, but we didn't anticipate the same with anxiety and overwhelm and burnout or whatever words you put to it. But that really has had the longest tail that I'm seeing. Mental health is an issue, period, end stop. Yeah. 
when you take a global pandemic and you take schools being out of commission and teachers having to teach virtually and the lines being blurred in the workday, you know, as I said before, when a team member comes to you and says, you know, I know typically my hours are from here to here, but I have three hours of homeschooling I need to do in the middle of the day. Can I change? You know, their children don't disappear at the end of the day. They're still trying to deal with all of that. So the mental exhaustion is just there and it's just going to continue. So we really placed a very strong emphasis on providing those mental health resources to the team. And some things seem so simple, but just, again, because you're still using Zoom, you're having lunch and learns, you're providing EAP virtually. We also have a fitness center on site on campus, which obviously closed, but we continue doing short 30-minute exercise sessions or yoga sessions and things like that virtually. Sitting at your desk, your body gets really tired, right? So we had the fitness instructor do certain things like stress relieving from your shoulders. So I'd log in and I'd learn these new exercises that I could do. And you come on once a week or once every few days. All of that, those are the little things that become big. Mm -hmm. And again, it's just the support because we know how tired people get normally, but you add this pressure and it just, it's exhausting. So really wanted to continue our focus in that space. Again, we're a healthcare company. How could we not focus on these things? Yeah, it would be sad as a healthcare company that you weren't. Exactly. And everyone's focusing on survival. Survival as in how do we make sure people can log on? Do they have chairs? Do they have a quiet place to work? Because not everyone has their house equipped with a home office, nor do they have a house that's big enough to accommodate a special room. And if you've got more than one person in the house working from home and kids, most people didn't buy their homes with the expectation that everyone would be in them working all day long. Correct. And we actually, you said, I think you said chairs made me think of something. We actually repurposed a lot of our office furniture. So we had certain ergonomic chairs in the space and we knew they would not be used for quite some time. So we offer them to employees at a, I'll call it a very, very, very discounted rate just so that they could quote, purchase something. And then we allowed others, because we only had so many, to uh, get discounted equipment through vendors and so forth. So we did a lot of that. We gave them some financial support as well, specifically related to equipping their home offices, whatever that might have been. It might have been their kitchen table, but whatever it was, gave them that opportunity. So we tried to think of everything. And when we couldn't think of it, someone certainly in the workforce gave us ideas. So again, that two-way communication was really important. You said most of the feedback was positive, Mm -hmm. but some of it was direct. And that was what I was curious about. How okay is it for people to say, this isn't working for me? It's very okay. What isn't okay is not telling us and then maybe quitting. What we'd rather know is tell us what's not working for you. And what we've reinforced in our organization for quite some time now is what we refer to as meaningful conversations. Mm -hmm. We don't use rating labels or anything like that because what we're trying to encourage is dialogue. 
dialogue between leader and team member. And so what we want folks to do is share when it's not working, share when it is working, what's going to make it better. We can't make everything perfect for everyone. I mean, there comes a time when you just have a choice you have to make as to whether or not this is the right organization for you. But we don't want that to be a haphazard decision. We want it to be conscious and we want to make an effort to make it work for you. And that's why it has to be okay to express concern. It has to be okay to express concern, but there is a manner in which we should all express our concern. So when you think about the social platform I mentioned before, you know, we use Yammer. We want people to be professional and share their concerns if they have concerns, because they'd expect the same from me. I expect the same from them. So it's 2A. Yeah. Having seen some less than professional, Mm -hmm. my concern was more often people are uncomfortable speaking up, but it sounds like your culture is such that that's really less of a concern. Well, I mean, it's always a concern, but we continue to try. This is an organization of 5,000 plus human beings. Yeah. That's what I'll say. And can I promise you that all 5,000 feel great or all 700 leaders feel that they're equipped or they even do a great job? You know, I can't. I can't say that, but we continue to try to provide the resources and the tools to help them be successful in having those difficult conversations with their team members. And the door is open to more than just their direct leader. You know, our CEO has twice monthly virtual conversations. Right now they're virtual. They'll be in person at some point. Mm -hmm. The rest of the leadership team participates in what we call lunch with leaders. So I'll host a session with a dozen people and I get an earful. We all do. Hmm. And then we come together and we share that information and we try to act on it. Sometimes you just can't act on it, but for the most part, we do our best. And we have employee resource groups or what we call employee networks. They gather, they're always getting information and they share with us both leadership and HR so that we can modify along the way as we need to. So one of the things I hear is multiple ways to connect. So if I have a boss with whom I don't feel comfortable sharing something, because sometimes we don't. That's right. There are lunch with leaders. I can connect with someone else. I can connect on Yammer. It's probably not good to go to the CEO as my first stop to complain that I don't have a chocolate fountain at home or something. (laughs) You'd be surprised as to how many people do think that's a great idea. And it's totally cool. But, you know, we also need him not to engage on every little thing. But he has, you know, he puts himself out there fairly frequently. So people always have an opportunity to share. Let's shift to culture then. It's one thing to reinvent yourself and create a new culture. Mm -hmm. I want to say you have and you haven't because you already had a culture of engagement and support. Mm -hmm. It's another to entirely maintain it. So what strategies are you using to keep those interpersonal connections strong? Like you talked about onboarding people one day in the office. They don't have the connections that we used to have when we popped in. Right. How do you live that culture day by day? You know, what I would say is this is where continuous effort, reevaluation of your work, and most importantly for us, keeping our values top of mind come in because it can fall apart pretty quickly. We've seen that happen to organizations and we don't want that to happen. So first, I think it's important to acknowledge that we have been in each other's homes throughout the pandemic. So we can't really separate home and work in the same way that we had before. We had to get 
much more comfortable with having those interruptions, whether they be, as I said, your children, your dog, or frankly, the UPS driver mm-hmm. interrupt your meeting. That's who interrupts all my meetings. Um, we've made a point of teaching leaders that it's really important also to check in personally with your team. So if you're having a staff meeting, use the first five minutes of the meeting to ask how everyone is doing. You know, check in with them, give them that space to engage on a more personal level, because we have found that it really matters more broadly along the way. Other than the things that I've shared with you, we have held a series of virtual town halls to provide regular updates and then share our decisions, our business plan, anything that we're working on. We have organized a number of other virtual forums, as I said, to connect everybody directly with leaders. We do the lunch with leaders, but we've had virtual coffees in the morning have allowed teams to stay connected. You know, really just encouraging everyone to take a break and talk about what's happening in their lives, both in and outside of work. The other thing that I've loved is we have very intentionally continued company traditions, such as something called Spirit Week that we have done that shares pride in our company's purpose. Spirit Week used to be, when it was in person, used to be a week-long set of activities every day. There was maybe a town hall or we'd do a community drive. We would do some other fun. We'd end on a family night. So when the pandemic first started, we obviously couldn't do Spirit Week in person. So we did the whole thing virtually. Every day there was something and it was just meant to create fun, joy in the organization, reinforce that pride and camaraderie. So in 21, just about the time we were going to do Spirit Week or that we were doing Spirit Week, we made a decision that we were going to do a slight in-person spin. So while we couldn't bring everyone in, we asked leaders, including the CEO, who wanted to come in just for like an hour, an hour and a half or two hours. And we did well what we called a drive-by parade. Hmm. What we essentially did was we set up a welcome line or a welcome course, I should say. And at each point in the course, there were a handful of leaders. Part of this allowed us to also collect donations for the local food bank. And one of the important parts of our organization is giving back to our community. Folks signed up and they drove through the campus, visited each portion of the course, dropped off their food donation, collected little goodies along the way. That was the day that we did like your favorite team. So everybody was dressed up in their casual team garb and we just said hi, connected. It was one of the first times that most people had seen any of the senior leaders in quite some time. It was the first time for many that they met the CEO because he'd been on campus really unable to spend any time with people. And while I would say that maybe that seems silly to folks listening, it was the simple ability for people to just come on site and connect, even if just for five minutes. And the joy that people expressed when they came through the line, because I'll never forget being there and someone came in who was brand new and she says, this is only my fifth day here. I am so excited to have this opportunity. Whereas others came by with a carload of coworkers that know each other pretty well, and they were all masked up and so forth. It was just, I say joy because it was really just so incredible to see that pride and that 
joy to be part of something that was small, but yet really big. We've also had our team produce video features, which profiled employees and their remote workspaces. So that was a lot of fun because we gave people the ability to decide that they wanted to share their home workspace. I'd say that most leaders across the company have sort of taken that open door approach where employees make those quick video calls, like I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. You know, what I'd say is with... 75% of our workforce continuing to make that choice to work remotely when we open, which as a matter of fact, begins today, those virtual opportunities are going to continue. We are not going to let up on it. And at the same time, we've made it clear that we will ask teams to join on campus about four times a year. So we've said to leaders, bring people on campus at least four times a year and do it for the purpose of gathering for a quarterly team meeting, any other events that allow us to re-energize and reconnect with one another. I think I said earlier, we want folks to think about the campus as the destination for community and culture building. And we're really excited to see how that evolves over time. So it's fun. One of the things I hear when I talk to people, and you've hit it really well, is when we're at work now coming physically together, the idea of being very intentional. Mm -hmm. And I think we talked about this before our call, where we used to do an offsite that was highly curated and we plan it. Yep. And we would make sure that the investment in bringing people together was a productive time. And it seems like now we have the invitation to heads down work at home, you manage your productivity. When you come into the office, we really do want to create a productive and intentional opportunity to interact for people who choose that. That's right. We don't want it to be come in for heads down work. Now, there may be people who really need to use the campus for that heads down space because working at home just became somewhat problematic for them. We totally get it. However, the number who have asked to work full time on site is negligible. It's a very, very small number. So we don't think that's the case. We do believe that for the 20-ish percent, 23% of the people who've said, look, I want to be mobile. Like I've considered myself a hybrid or mobile and simply means I'm not going to be home full time all the time. I will come in occasionally. But that doesn't mean, and I've really tried to stress this with my team, just because I'm there does not mean anyone needs to be there. It just doesn't make any sense. I'm going to come in when I need to come in because I have a reason to come in or there's something that would be easier for me to do on campus. And I think we're trying to reinforce that throughout the organization. It's become a big part of our organizational norms. We're trying to make sure that we're level setting for everyone what we want those norms to be. I think that's crucial because as we listen to people, you know, across the spectrum, there is still that sense in some organizations, sounds like not yours, but in some organizations, even though the words say everyone can work from home, people are still afraid that if my boss is in the office, that means if I'm dedicated, I'm there and it will impact promotions. It sounds like you have gone out of your way to ensure that people don't have that fear. I hope so. That is something that we were really striving to make sure doesn't exist. We don't want them to have the fear that what we're saying is not really what we mean. I think it's important that they understand if we say this, we really mean it. Now, also keep in mind that we have several of our executives 
several of our leadership team, the folks who, who report to the CEO in the next level down, who don't even live in North Carolina. So that's the other thing is that has also helped. The fact that we are now hiring beyond the borders has allowed us to not have leaders all on site at all times. It's a bit of a difficulty or, or more of a struggle to just plan a meeting that requires everyone to be here because they have to make travel arrangements. So we're very intentional about that as well. So trying to give people as much notice as possible. I wondered, so thank you for sharing that people are now being hired from different locations. A lot of my clients are doing that. It gives you the opportunity for the best workforce. That's right. And because so many people have working spouses or partners, to expect them to move and give up their career to follow, it, it just isn't practical in many cases. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. As we're moving to close, what opportunities do you think have been created for you as a business and or an HR team? And what elements of it are you most excited about as we move through 2022 and looking into the future? First of all, I think it's important for me to say that we have kept our employees safe and have at the same time maintained our service to our customers throughout the pandemic while meeting and exceeding company goals. That has been incredibly critical to us. I think I've said I've heard from many, many employees who are really grateful the chance to deal with all the changes that they and their families experienced during the pandemic. They appreciate that we trust them to get their work done while they navigate both their work and their life. That, to me, has been so important. The talent market in our area has always been extremely competitive. And now more than ever, we believe that Hybrid Flex is going to help us remain competitive in attracting talented people, as you just said, right? Throughout the pandemic, we screened and hired hundreds of people most of whom have never set foot on our campuses. So I'm looking forward to having them now have the opportunity to come on campus and have not only a great virtual experience, but to you know, sort of reconnect in person and feel that same passion and drive we have for our customers. I think I said at the start of this, we've done this really well for two years. I see no reason why we should change the model for hiring or work, which frankly has been much more efficient and the end of the day, cost-effective, and that's really always important. Honestly, I'd say I could not be more proud of our company's response to COVID-19, both in how we're helping our customers get the healthcare they need, and in you know how we're getting our work done and how we're shifting to this new way of working. I have to say, it's been an incredible honor for me to have the opportunity to lead this work with an amazing team, both in HR and across the enterprise. Now, I'm hoping that we're moving past the pandemic onto a much healthier future. We can just keep our fingers crossed at this point, but it's been a great experience. I also hope we have a, a much healthier future and less disruptive. But as we watch what's unfolding in the Ukraine right now, yeah, yep. I'm not sure that we'll be less disrupted. Mm -hmm. We haven't used the words risk management. You've talked more about health, yep. but- also, as an enterprise, what you've done is address a lot of the potential risks from legal to IT to HR. Oh, sure. To keeping people healthy by distancing and working from home. Yep. It sounds like as the world goes through its ebbs and flows, 
the enterprise is well positioned for the range of risks that it'll face. Correct. We, throughout the period of time that we're talking about, we also work very closely with our risk management team because they have a responsibility to make sure that we have all the mitigation plans in place. With all the conversation about the great resignation, we would share with them very, very regularly all of our data to put their mind at ease, all of our plans. So having those mitigation plans in place and sort of being at the ready as we hope we have been has given both our internal risk management team as well as our board the comfort of knowing that we had a plan and that we had been executing on that plan all along. Well, and it sounds like a lot of it you were executing on pre-pandemic, which positioned you to, as you went into the pandemic, respond as you needed to. Absolutely. We've tried to all along recognize the world is changing. And the talent that you're looking for, great talent, expects something different than they've always had. So we've tried to stay one step ahead of that this whole time. And we were very fortunate that we had been working on that. And our people strategy had always had that thought in mind. One other thing, just as we're closing, I love the idea of Spirit Week. As you said (laughs) it, it made me think of high school and some big bonfire and, and just a fun time in life that you're carrying that into the workplace and helping people connect with a really important mission and purpose is just a brilliant approach. Thank you. Yeah. I can't take credit for this. Again, the team, we are always very uh, connected on trying to do things that reinforce and build on pride and camaraderie and trust. And those are the things that, you know, really are the basis for our engagement and our culture. As we think about the drivers for people engagement, purpose is such an important one. Mm -hmm. And not only working with an organization that has a strong purpose, but creating a culture where people get to connect with it seems crucial. That's what we've been trying to do. (laughs) It sounds like the data suggests that you've been very successful with it. We hope so. We hope it continues. It's something that, you know, I always say these things are not once and done. They have to be sustained over a period of time for us to be successful long term. As you say that, as we're wrapping up, as leaders, think about how you are engaging as you move forward with the changes you're making and how HR is working with the rest of the organization as a crucial element of the leadership team. And we've heard Farah talking as a business partner and a proactive leader among the executive team. And having worked with some clients who integrate HR into all executive functions and some who don't, Mm -hmm. what we heard from Farah is you don't get there as well if HR isn't an equal voice at the table. To find out more about becoming a Connex member and joining this community, please visit connexpartners.com. We want to thank Connex for their sponsorship of this show and the series. And Farah, thank you so much. And how would people learn more about you and working at Blue Cross and Blue Shield? Yes, our website address is bcbsnc.com. And if you want to learn more about opportunities to join our organization, it's the same website and slash careers. And we'd love to have you check us out. Thank you. And thank you for sharing such important information. 
to our listeners, thank you for joining. And I do encourage you to think about the many tactics that Farah shared and what you can do to improve your culture and your people engagement. Thank you.